1: Uh we are in post President's Cup mode, looking forward to twenty twenty and we've got uh uh not first time but uh but definitely a long time, Sean Martin. How's it going?
2: Uh always happy to be back. I'm just getting my sleep schedule back on track after the President's Cup. Uh it's funny how you can get jet lag, not even traveling there, but it's good.
1: You sound very you sound very like reserved. Were you were you disappointed at the uh at the result of the President's Cup rooting for the international team? Uh, I
2: think it was second best case scenario. I think an international upset would have been very good for the competition, obviously. But I also think that at the end of the day, I do think the better team won. uh, And the internationals led the whole way. They made it interesting. They were a cool team to root for, kind of the plucky underdogs. You know, you had like Abe Answer showing a lot of just kind of bravado. He's obviously an undersized player, not the longest hitter. (laughs) Uh, They were like the plucky underdogs. It's probably like, you know, like the NCAA basketball final. Like if you had Duke versus VCU and, you know, VCU leads with 10 minutes left and then Duke just finally outclasses them with Grayson Allen or Christian Leighton or just names Grant Hill, names someone else. But, yeah, that's what I compare it to.
1: I love that you have Grayson Allen off the top. Who's the Grayson Allen of USA Golf?
2: I don't know enough. My basketball references stop there. (laughs) I'd probably make a comparison not knowing what the underlying themes were and then I'd get myself in trouble. Uh
1: I I feel like we're not giving the international we're not we're not going to talk presidents Cup. I don't know why we are. We're just getting into it, but um I feel like the we're international We're talking
2: about it cuz it was awesome. It was great. It was, cool. it was the late night the late night thing, you know, most of us our loved ones are asleep so like golf Twitter was our family that week. Uh yeah. and there were some fami- there were family feuds, there were touching moments, there were shared moments. I mean, we had like Golf Twitter was it was a full that was our family for the week and and we experienced all the emotions you share with your own family.
1: It was kind of it was kind of open championship like is what it is what it felt like. It was different timing sort of, but it it was very much it was very similar to that week, which is is probably my favorite week of the year. Yeah, but
2: even then you're kind of still people that should be at work or should be working for most people. Like this was middle of the night, your whole house is dark. Because your kids are asleep, like the volume's on low, like you're laughing at the jokes on Twitter, but you're kind of keeping it down because you want to wake the kids up. Like it had a much more like hardcore feel because you were up to like midnight, one a.m., two a.m. watching this thing if you were watching from start to finish.
1: Yeah, I was up till three on on Friday night. That was the toughest one. Um... I told my
2: coworkers they were on their own. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. B- before we get to what we're actually going to talk about, is Hideki okay? Is he is he doing Gosh. okay after the event?
2: Oh, that was not good.
1: Is he feeling you know, okay?
2: This, this is a great moment for him, I thought. Like he it's a great golf course for him. It demands precise iron play. He had some flashes where, you know, he really looked like he was gonna be that international stalwart they needed. It was a course that rewards his greatest asset and in reality when you look at it, you know, if he wins that match they tie the cup, and and really, if he wins that match, they still have a much better chance of winning it. Obviously, and I think really, him losing that was kind of when you first started to sense like, I mean, the, the U.S. was making a move early, but then when that happened, you're like, oh, like this is <laughs> they're gonna wax them now. This is yeah. it's on. I'm, yeah, I'm not for okay. Sure. So he's
1: probably not okay. It it's going to be a tough winter for you guys. But uh, speaking of, we're going into 2020. New uh, new calendar year starts here in a couple of weeks at the Tournament of Champions. And I wanted to talk today. So we've got we're, – we're doing this. We've got 20 guys for 2020. So we've got 20 players to keep an eye on. And, and these are not your regular PGA Tour superstars. Not not. I mean, there are going to be some big names in here, but not your Rory's and your Kepka's. We want to look at – uh, Some names like 20 names to kind of keep an eye on going into this new year that maybe are a little bit beneath the surface or a little A little deeper dive. So we're going to start with the young guns and I said we're going to do 20 names that uh People maybe haven't heard of or don't think about and we're going to and we're going to start with one that they actually do think about and have heard of uh, And that's matthew wolf. What are your expectations for matthew wolf going into 2020?
2: I think i've heard comparisons of wolf being like a young dustin johnson where He's got the raw physical tools, but he still needs some polishing. And, and so I think we've seen that. Like the 3M Open, uh, he was dominant. It was a great course for him. You know, he's able to hit these really high long irons that are, are a great asset on, you know, obviously par fives and, and long par fours. And that's a skill that can really separate you from your competition. But the stuff, you know, like partial wedge shots and the stuff that kind of separates a refined professional from a good college player – are things that he still needs to work on so you know i think you could see kind of like early in dj's career he won in his first season matthew wolf's won already where there will be some bright spots there'll be a lot of promise uh shown very quickly but it, he might not hit his full stride until you know three four five years down the road when he's had a chance to kind of polish those things so you know wouldn't be surprised if he won again also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't um i think he's a guy that we just need to take the long view of which is hard to do with a guy who won Uh, his fourth start as a professional. You want everything now, now, now. But um, I do think that his best golf is is a few years away, and and so should get a little patience uh, because of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is a crazy stat. He actually hasn't played in a major championship yet, and his first one will be at the Masters in 2020. So that'll be fun to Kind of see him there. I I love the DJ comparison. I think it's really smart. And I think taking the long view, I think taking the long view with all these guys, but especially him, because he just, it's almost like this, it's almost like the Ricky thing, right? Not to go to Oklahoma State on this, but you win early and it's like, oh, he's going to win all the time. You know, probably win 50 times. And you're like, well, probably not. Like, that's probably not how this thing is going to go. So I'm with you. I, I hope people just are patient. Uh, he's not going to win five times a year. He's going to be a good player for a really long time on the PGA Tour, though. Uh, Next up, we got uh, your boy, Colin Morikawa. So he got – Colin Morikawa got his PGA Tour card for this next season uh, after winning the Barracuda. He finished – he played in the U.S. Open this summer. He finished T-35 at Pebble. Um, Expectations for him, I I think we talk about – we talk about Wolf. Uh, Victor Hovland and Morikawa in the same kind of the triumvirate of of guys that came on tour last year. How does he fit into that group uh, for you?
2: I think it is kind of funny because they each have very different skill sets. And if you look, like Wolf is one end of the spectrum, you know, absolutely bombs it, great iron player. He can kind of bludgeon some courses, which is what he did at the 3M Open. Morikawa, a little bit different, very refined player, very like artistic with his irons probably already one of the best iron players on tour, but may lack some of the length that's necessary to be kind of a dominant player. And then Victor Hovland is kind of right in the middle of the two. He's People have compared him as kind of a combo of the two, of having that more refined game, if you will, and not quite the distance of Wolf, but definitely longer than Morikawa. So, you know, iron play, as we've seen, is probably the most important part of the game to be a successful uh, tour player, as long as you have a requisite amount of length. And he does, but he may not have the amount the length to be like a Rory McElroy per se or, or an absolutely dominant player, but a very good PJ Tour player who, you know, when when he's in the fairway, just has a chance to to separate himself from the competition with really good iron play. I mean, he'd be he didn't have enough rounds for the stats, but he was basically at or near the top of like every iron play and approach stat that you could think of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he was really impressive. All of these guys were, and I'm curious. So our next guy is Hovland, and I think that, you know, I think he's probably a lock for Rookie of the Year. It's weird. It's crazy that he's a rookie considering how many events. I mean, he played in the Masters last year, played in the USL. He played so many events last year, and you're like, wait, this guy's this guy's still a rookie. Uh, but he will be going into, or or he is right now for the 2019-20 season. I I heard you say that he's not quite as long. As Matthew Wolf, but the statistics tell me that he's much better in terms of strokes gained off the tee. And so I guess I'm curious if you have to take one of those guys driving game, are you taking, are you taking Wolf or are you taking Hovland?
2: I would probably take Hovland. Uh, I think you get a little bit, you you don't have the quite the big miss. You know, we saw it it was going to be a very random reference, but at the Wyndham, uh, Matthew Wolf was really working his way into competition and then Hit one OB, and I think you might occasionally have that foul ball. Um, I just think that you know the way people look at like if you look at a prospect angle, like the ceiling uh, of Wolf's off the T game is probably much is probably higher. I don't want to say much higher, but probably higher. But the floor of Hovland's is much uh, is not as low. And so I think with Hovland you're just getting a much steadier player, uh, whereas Wolf you'll get some weeks where he's just gonna blow guys out of the water. But then other weeks, you know, well, obviously he doesn't, and where maybe, you know, there might be some bigger misses.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I I would go. I would go Hovland. Um, man, his the strokes game stuff off the tee. I know we've talked about this. It is astonishing, and I think I just I I, it it just works in 2020 on the PGA Tour. We can have a conversation about. Whether that's a good thing for golf, whether that's, like, you know, wh- whatever. But it doesn't matter. Like, he's elite at the thing that you need to be elite at to be successful on the PGA Tour. And I just I, – I, I said this. It, I, it hasn't come out yet, but I was on the No Line Up podcast the other day. And I I we were talking – I was telling them about how you were hollering throughout their college careers about how, like, look, Wolf is – I don't know if he's as good – or, uh, excuse me, Hovland. I don't know if he's as good as Wolf. But he's scoring with him. He's scoring with him. He's do, he's finishing the same. He's finishing the same. And and then they get on tour, and you're like, these there's not a big difference between these guys. And I think that's sort of played out so far.
2: Yeah, and I do think with Wolf, I think you know a lot of what we think of is like how long he is is stuff posted on Instagram of like him and just messing around and him just killing it. Uh, but I do think when he's actually playing in tour events, he's not going 100 percent full bore. So like, yes, he's capable of. Flying at 340, uh, when he's playing, playing around and, and just messing around with, with George Gankis or, you know, even like a place like Phoenix where you can kind of do that. But I do think for the most part, I think he's kind of dialing it back when he's playing tour events, which is a, a sign of maturity too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Next name on the list, we've got, again, I, I promise we'll get to names that people haven't heard of, but we've got, uh, we got John Rom, the number three player in the world. He, at won three times on the European Tour in 2019. He, I think, I, I mean, look, I, I thought he was the best player in the world for the second half of 2019. He's 25 years old, just turned 25 in November. And, um, I, I, I mean, what, what's the ceiling for him? Can he be number one for multiple years? Is he going to get to number one this year? What are your expectations for him going into this season or into this calendar? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do wonder, obviously end of the decade, uh, content has been very popular in the last two months. Everyone's, uh, kind of gotten their, uh, their share of it. And then obviously we're doing looking into sort of the next year, but also the next decade. And so I was kind of starting to think, like, what does the next decade look like? You know, you'll have some carryover of, of names we're familiar with and then you'll obviously have some new names, but like who is our player of the decade? And, and probably it's just recency bias, but I do wonder, like, John Rom is in a great position where this could be, like, he could be the player of the next decade. He's only, I think, yeah. 20, 25, so he'll be 35 yeah. when it's over. Like, I mean, JT is another prime candidate, but, I mean, I really think John Rom potentially could be the player of the next decade, which is a pretty heady statement.
1: Yeah, who, who are even your other, your candidates? I, I guess some of the guys that we mentioned earlier, J, JT would probably be my pick, just because I, I mean, him and Rom, I think are are similar in that I don't know where the holes are at. Like you look at some of JT's numbers, and you're like, well, what what's he bad at? You know, like yeah. he's he's not the best in the world at anything. But he's like top twenty at everything. And and I and I think a little bit the same about Rom. You know, I, I think that it's just incredible that you that you. I, I, and I and I think this about DJ. I think it about uh, Brooks Kepka. to be that big and that violent with your swing and yet have that good of hands it's just it's it's remarkable to me and i think i think he kind of epitomizes that and it, it, he's just so impre- i i just think his stuff around the greens and 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 with his putter is so impressive because you know a lot of guys can hit it like he does but there's not a lot of guys that can couple the putting and and the the wedge play around the greens like him
2: yeah and i mean he's been on a just absolute tear to end this year of I was looking since the US Open, 13 starts, uh, one missed cut. Other than that, out of the other 12 starts, his worst finish is, uh, T13, and he's got eight top three finishes in those 13 starts, including, you know, he won Race to Dubai, uh, he won the Irish Open, which is a huge event, uh, and then he won his national Open, uh, the Spanish Open, which honestly, that's always hard when you're obviously the best player in the field and everyone's expecting you to win, and then to go over there and do it is a sign of a, a dominant player as well. So, and the crazy thing too when we were doing this, you know, best of the decade stuff was how many of the guys like JT and Speith were still in high school when the decade yeah. started and guys like Brooks were in college when the decade started and just so that means that like, you know, for next 2020s there's kids we aren't even thinking about who are going to be, you know, absolute stars in like 5 years.
1: Probably our kids could be yeah. like talked about in that conversation for best of the decade.
2: Mine will be like 12, but yeah.
1: Yeah, well, mine will be 15. He'll probably, he'll probably <laughs> play in a couple U.S. Opens by then. U.S. Amateur. Like, like, uh, speaking of, what a segue. I didn't even realize I was doing this. Cole Hammer. Cole Hammer! Up. Uh, okay, this is your section. This is, this is the Sean Martin special. Cole Hammer. So we're gonna go amateurs now. We've got, uh, three or four amateurs on here that we want to talk about, uh, in terms of 20 players for 2020. Cole Hammer's the number, uh, number, excuse me, number two amateur in the world right now. Played in the Houston Open earlier this fall. Shot a 67 in the first round. Walker Cup. He played in a U.S. Open at Chambers Bay when he was 15. He's done everything as an amateur. I, I, I look at him, and I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like, can he? D- does he have like the power and the strength and the, the stuff that it takes on the PGA Tour in 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 this era in 2020 to be elite? What What is your What's your take just on like where he stands at Texas and, and him going into professional golf over the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, he's very much in the Spieth mold, which I mean, Spieth made it work, but he's in that mold of, you know, not the biggest guy uh, he's going to have to get it done with his Potter. Um, he's going to have to rely on, on obviously not just strength off the tee. And so I think there is, you know, there's probably some limitations there or, or some, You know, his ceiling may not be as high, but uh, it's not often that you see, you know, kids who qualify for U.S. Open at like 15, 16. There's been a handful, and and really not many of them, if any, have panned out. So, I mean, obviously he hasn't done anything as a professional yet, but he's gotten to number one in the amateur rankings uh, in the past. And so it does make you wonder if there is something there. I mean, to this point, he's been able to overcome kind of a – a lack of distance. He, you know, he won the Western Amateur, which is a huge event. So, I do think there's a ceiling on him just because of the size. You know, it's unfortunate, probably, that you say that, but there is truth to it in today's game of, you can only do so much when you you can't hit it up there with, you know, the best players in, in the world as far as length. And so, I do think that might give a little pause to his future prospects.
1: Yeah, I, I really like him. I, I think he, I think he's got a ton of game. I think he's got the right attitude, like the right amount of kind of, I don't know, to use your Abraham answer term bravado or or cockiness or whatever. Like he, he just, I think he gets it. I think he understands like what it takes and stuff, but I'm curious just to see. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a power game. And so I'm curious, is it a, you know, is he, is he more in contention on shorter courses? Is it a, I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, but it's not – I don't know. Sometimes we talk about these guys like they hit it like 230. It's right. Not, that's not how it is. Like Jordan Spieth does – he's like 294 off the tee. Like I, it, it's not – like Cole Hammer has plenty of game. I, I just – to be at that elite, elite level, That that's why I'm so high on Hovland, I think. I keep going back to just his ability off the tee. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, next up we got uh, US Am – the excuse me, the 2019 US Amateur Champion – uh, Georgia Tech guy, Andy Ogletree. Uh he yeah. is gonna be in the twenty twenty Masters after winning the twenty nineteen USAM. What's your what's your take on him? He was a little bit of a I don't know, kind of an out of nowhere winner of the USAM. What what are your thoughts on him going into twenty twenty?
2: Yeah, he was a guy who hadn't done a whole lot in his college career and then kind of halfway through this past season. Uh, Fixed some stuff in his putting and, and kind of really turned around from there. Uh, he was a second-team All-American, so a good player uh, because of a really strong finish to his season after he kind of got his putting sorted out. Um, he's a guy from like a small town in Mississippi. Um, so anyways, I think just that he was a little bit of a surprise, but maybe not too deep of a surprise. Just a guy who, you know, he'd finally figured some stuff out and reached that next level and kind of uh, – they kind of capitalize or or kind of reach its crescendo at the U S amateur, you know, that being said, I think, you know, Victor Hovland obviously has had a great career after the U S amateur. Uh, the, the track record of U S amateur champions is not, is not the greatest. It's not the best. And I think part of that's just because it is just one tournament. So, you know, anyone can win one event. It is match play. So it's not maybe necessarily the best determinant of who's going to do well on in professional golf where everything is stroke play. So, um, I don't know. He obviously a, a good player, second team All American. Playing guys have had good college careers after, you know, being second team All Americans. But, uh, it is kind of a wait and see if that was just maybe a hot streak at the later part of, of 2019 or if, or if this is, you know, something more to come.
1: Yeah, he's from uh, Little Rock, Mississippi. Not Little Rock, Arkansas, but Little Rock, <laughs> Mississippi, which, uh, <laughs> sounds like the smallest town possible. Is he. He was a senior last year, right? So he's he's just basically just waiting until after the Masters to turn pro.
2: Yeah, and then with that new rule, he can turn pro and play the U.S. Open as a pro. So it's yeah, probably once his college season finishes out, he'll turn pro. Which
1: is uh, which is great, right? Like, don't, are are you in favor of that new rule?
2: I I don't know. I think I said this on another podcast, and you know, one of the bigger mistakes that is made is guys turning pro too early. Uh, no one's ever said it's kind of like returning from injury. No one's ever said they return from injury too late. No one's ever said they turn pro too late. I don't think. Um, and so just anything else that further encourages guys to turn pro after, you know, one win. Um, is it, it's that's a tough one. I don't know. I think you could lead to guys turning pro maybe when they shouldn't.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point, and I guess we'll see how it plays out. But uh, speaking of the USAM, uh, John Augenstein was the US Amateur runner-up. He is a Vanderbilt guy. He's a senior this year as well. Uh, any thoughts on his kind of potential going into to 2020?
2: Maybe fair or not, but all these Vanderbilt guys kind of run together for me. They're all just kind of these uh, – they've got a lot of kind of that bravado. Uh, they're big hitters, hard swingers, uh, and – Augustine kind of seemed to fit that bill as well. And um, you know, we saw Theo Humphrey, uh, one of his teammates who did well at the USAM a couple of years ago, just get through Corn Ferry Q school. Um and so I think that uh it'll be interesting. I think he's got he is he's a big hitter with a a lot of confidence.
1: Yeah, his uh his bio on the Vanderbilt Golf website says it's only got two bullet points for summer twenty nineteen. One is Finish runner-up at the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst. And the second bullet point is help the U.S. to a Walker Cup win at Hoylake uh, and clinch the match for the U.S. at Royal Liverpool with his 4-3 and three win over Thomas Plum. So uh, pretty decent summer for uh, for John Augenstein. Definitely. Um, okay, last up. I'm going to just give you the floor for this one. This is my boy. <laughs> the number one amateur in the world. You, you can tell me if I'm saying this correctly or not. Uh Takumi Kanaya.
2: Nailed it. Uh, Nailed he's it. also actually two hundred and twenty-fifth in the official World Golf ranking. Here we uh, go. he's ranked ahead he's ahead, ranked ahead of Jimmy Walker and Jason <sighs> Duffner, guys who guys who won majors uh this decade, which is not a knock on them it's just a, a credit Dude, to Takumi. You're all uh, about the
1: you're all about the decade stuff.
2: Well th- yeah, I'm just saying the guys that won majors recently and Takumi's just, you know, sprinted ahead of them <laughs> But he almost uh, – he contended the Australian Open just a couple weeks ago. He won a big event on the Japan Tour. Uh He's won an Asia-Pacific amateur. He almost won this year he lost in the playoff. Uh, he played in the Masters this year, shot 68 in the third round, just like Hideki did in his first uh, Masters. Goes to the same school, Tohoku Tohoku Fukushi University that Hideki did. The parallels are just – I mean, they're uncanny. So I expect big things from Takumi.
1: Uh, I mean, what's the <laughs> – is Hideki the bar? I mean in terms of like is that what everybody from that like from Japan is like I want to be like like do they say I want to be Hideki? I want Hideki's career? Is that is that sort of the like what people are shooting for?
2: Yeah, I mean I think as far as performance in America, Hideki's the greatest Japanese player of all time. I think probably Jumbo Ozaki is the most revered in yeah. Japan, but as far as performance in America, I mean Hideki is Hideki's the guy.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I'll leave, I'll leave the uh, Takumi Kanaya takes, takes with uh, with you. I, I don't know that I have a lot there. Number one amateur in the world is pretty impressive. I do have uh, a couple. Good. I was
2: actually – we're doing the best amateurs – or best players to look for next decade. I did want to throw in Preston Summerhayes, the U.S. junior champion. Uh, very good young player to look for. Uh, and also uh, one more, Michael Thorbjornson, one of the U.S. junior – Uh, the year before him, and then made the cut at the U.S. Open Uh, this year at Pebble. Two guys, I think, that are worth just kind of keeping an eye on as they kind of go through the junior and and soon the college ranks.
1: Where does Preston Summerhays go, or where is he going?
2: Uh, He's verbal to Arizona State. He's the son of Boyd Summerhays, who's Tony Fino's swing coach. Uh, Uh, Won the U.S. Junior. Last year he shot 65-60 to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. So pretty crazy to shoot those numbers at like 16 years old.
1: I think I read about this. This is like the, the, the Daniel Summerhays family.
2: Yeah, yeah. Daniel Summers is his uncle.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did read about it. Where did I read about it? Was it on Golf Week?
2: I don't know. I wrote a story on him as well just because he played the Junior President's Cup, and obviously Finau is in the President's Cup. But uh, So it's, it's always nice when your dad is a former tour player and a swing coach. Uh, and just – he. I mean the ability to kind of go that low and shoot like 60 when you're 16 is, is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, that's disgusting. That's filthy. Yeah. Uh, okay, we are – we're going to get to some more. Actually, let's do this. We're, we're, we've we got eight guys down. Let's do two more and get halfway there. So we're going to go into the international team uh, rookies that we just saw at the President's Cup. And these are some guys that maybe people were just introduced to, but you've been following, I've been following for a little bit longer. So I, I'm curious about your thoughts on – Maybe the ceiling for Joaquin Neiman, you know, he's somebody who, uh, is coming off a win at the Greenbrier in the fall. You know, he didn't have the greatest President's Cup, but he's, he's kind of been around for a while, kind of low key, played a lot of PGA Tour events, uh, after turning pro a couple years ago after the Masters. What are, what are you, how are you feeling about him going into 2020?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, we're almost, I think, downplaying him because he's not American. I mean, he won on the PGA Tour at age 20 and, you know, maybe it felt less impressive because he'd already been out there for like a year and a half and so he almost felt like old news. But I mean, he won on the PGA Tour at the age of 20, which is an incredible achievement. Uh, I was like, the only two players in the last, like, basically since World War II, the only two players to win on tour, uh, who were born outside the United States before their 21st birthday, it was Rory McIlroy, Semi Ballesteros, and now Joaquin Neiman. So, I mean, Sick. not to say that he's going to have those careers, but that's good company. And uh I think, yeah, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for you know winning at that young of an age.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think for me with him, it, I I go to the Strokes Game Tita to Green stuff, and it's it's really good. It's not it's not like a it's not fake. Like you can't fake that stuff. And it's it wasn't a fake win at Greenbrier. He he's. He's the real deal. And his speed is just I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. Like he's really you know, he's not like he's not built like Rom or Kepka or anything like that, but he is I mean his his swing speed is it, super impressive. And I think he's gonna have I think he's gonna have an awesome career. I think he's gonna be really, really good. Uh okay, we'll do number ten and then we'll go to a break. Abe, uh Father Abraham, uh honest Abe, Abraham answer. Uh the answer showed out yeah shout out to Allen Iverson showed out at the players earlier this year he was he was really good for a, a long time at the players kind of faded late finished T12 i believe and then had probably the i don't know if it was the most impressive i think we'll get to the most impressive here in a minute but maybe the biggest maybe, he might have been the biggest revelation at the president's cup what are your what do you feel about him going into 2020
2: This is a guy we were talking about distance but a guy i mean he does get hurt by lack of length, you know, so he's, he's 10th in strokes gained off the tee though, which usually that high in the rankings that's dominated by bombers, but he's 103rd in driving distance last season, which again, like you were saying, is still hitting it pretty far. That's still two ninety three off the tee, um, but 10th in driving accuracy. So he's a guy who, you know, he's not hitting it as far as the top players, but he does kind of, he's got this grittiness that I really like. And it's the kind of story that you don't see a lot on the PGA tour. Like he grew up, um, playing golf in Mexico, uh, right on the U S border. And basically it became too violent in his hometown to drive to the golf course every day to practice. So they moved across the border to Texas, uh, you know, who's down in kind of Southeast Texas, not really getting a lot of attention from colleges. So he goes to Odessa junior college uh, and he's actually the national player of the year there. in his first year, his coach said that he showed up with like mismatched golf clubs. Like, you know, all the other kids on college teams, are, you know, they're all getting fit for, sets and, and getting custom fit and, and he just kind of had whatever he was able to kind of put together um the oklahoma coach saw, said that he saw him basically he was there to recruit someone else and you know it's like rainy and cold and abraham just shoots this 65 in these awful conditions and he's just showed kind of i think that same grit that we've seen now and so you know you don't see a lot of guys even who go to junior colleges make it on the PJ tour um it's usually a lot of guys who we've known about since you know they were in college or their junior golf days. But he is just – he's a guy who gets it done. He's very competitive, very gritty.
1: I love that we sh- uh, talk about 293 off the tee being like not being short.
2: Right. And that's the same thing with Morikawa. I mean that's – I think about how far he hits it. He hits it plenty far. Uh, it's just – it's not – I think the difference is it's not that like ability to hit it that 330 gear where yeah. you're just – playing a different golf course than everyone else most people on the pga tour hit it between 285 to 295 you're not like you're you know lagging way behind your competition but there are those guys who have that next gear where they're basically playing a different golf course than everyone else
1: yeah so i'm i'm back at uh so i'm looking at the 2000 driving distance on pgatour.com shout out to your employer (laughs) 293 would have ranked, uh, let's see, what is it? Oh, no, I'm in 2001. 293 would have ranked 7th. Uh, so your 2001 PGA Tour driving distance leaders, John Daly at 307, Brett Quigley at, oh, this is so fun, Brett Quigley at 299, Tiger 298, Davis Love 298, Duval 296, and then Phil and Charles Howe at 294. And so, uh, Abraham Answer, if he was playing in 2001, would have ranked, uh, 8th, 7th on the PGA Tour and driving distance.
2: Yeah, it's a different game. I mean, that's, that's all there really is to say about it.
1: Chris Tidlin, 16th.
2: Whew. Go Pokes.
1: Yeah. Joey Sindelar. Ele- okay. We need, we need to stop. Um,
0: okay. Let's take a break. We're halfway through and let's hear a word from our partners. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution
1: Okay, Sean, let's pick this back up with, uh, three other President's Cup rookies that we just saw at Royal Melbourne. Um, Cam Smith, he's going for his third consecutive Australian PGA title this week, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy. I, I, you know, he, he's somebody who's also been around for a few years. And I, and I think that, I don't know, he just, he doesn't get talked about ever by anybody other he's than also, like, us He's the Holl- Australian,
2: Walter Hagen? <laughs>
1: Is that did Walter Hagen win 3 PJ's in a row? Uh
2: I, he won 5. I think he won a few in a row as well, but uh yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that Uh but he
1: why why does he not get talked about?
2: I think he's a guy who I mean his strength is in his short game. And we saw it at Royal Melbourne. Uh I mean he chips and puts it like a fiend, but I think there is and he's He's done some good things in majors. Uh, Chambers Bay, remember he eagled the last, like stiffed it to finish fourth. Yeah. Uh, the Masters one year, he shot like 65 in the final round to, uh, move up the board and, and I think finished top 10. But I do think, I mean, his main strength is around the greens. And I think I haven't seen him a ton, but I think there is just maybe doesn't quite have the ball striking chops to really contend week in, week out. Um, I think that's really what holds him back.
1: Yeah. I, the, the one at Chambers Bay, didn't that earn him his card or something?
2: Basically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I got him, like, got him his card for the next year on the PJ chair. I, I remember that was, that was like a weird, like Sunday, like sub storyline. That was the first major that I covered in person. And obviously you had the DJ speed stuff. Rory like went out and like 28, Louis shot like a 29 on the back. nine. Nah, I mean, it, it was a, it was a crazy Sunday and that was like the sixth storyline, but it was super impressive. Um, Okay, Sung J M the best player in the world, other than uh like Rory and Tiger and Brooks. Uh I think he's like the fourth best player in the world right now. What how high can so no lane up tweeted that he could earn fifty million dollars on the PJ tour. Is that an over exaggeration or an under exaggeration?
2: Gosh. Uh fifty I mean, he's twenty one. He plays every week. It still feels high, but Gosh, I don't know. That's, that feels high. Uh, that, I mean, it's still that's ten years of. I mean, he could be on the tour for thirty years, which that would be that only be like you know one and a half million more than that a year, which is like not. I mean, you make one and a half million almost if you keep your card. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely very possible. Uh, you have to wonder about like I just think with guys this young, you always have to wonder about burnout is always a, a thing um, and just. A lot can happen over the next 30 years, but, I mean, yeah, it's probably very doable.
1: He was awesome at the President's Cup. I, I, I just, you know, some of the, <clears throat> he, you know, he's one of two guys to win a singles match on Sunday, and just some of the emotion he showed, I, I just, I, I I walked into the President's Cup, like, loving Sung and I walked away from it somehow loving him even more. I, I thought he was just so good. And he doesn't get talked about and I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm super, I saw somebody predict that he was going to win like one of the next eight or one or two of the next eight majors. I was like, I don't, I don't know if we need to like get carried away like that, but, uh, he's going to be a, he's going to be problematic for people going into the next few years.
2: He is a machine. I mean, he's got that really slow backswing. He hits every like perfect position on the way back and he just hits it so good. And I mean, Again, if he was like an American, twenty one year old player who'd done what he did, we were we'd be freaking out about him, but I think he just gets a little shortchanged because he's not American. But uh, yep. everyone from the Corn Ferry tour who's played with him is super impressed. Uh he's a very controlled player, great ball striker. he's a machine, so uh definitely a bright future ahead of him.
1: Okay, Benny On, former USA Amateur winner. We talked about the USA Am earlier. Uh he uh, he's a little older than you might think. I think he's twenty eight. Uh, but he had a good Presidents Cup as well. Uh, is there a, is there another level for him to to kind of go up, or do you kind of think he is who he is at this point?
2: I I would like to see a win. I mean, that's really the only thing. It's just he's been close a lot. He was close at Wyndham. Uh, he was close at Sanderson. Close he was close at, at Memorial. At Memorial. Yeah. yeah. Um. He lost, I think, the Zurich in a playoff one year when Brian Stewart won it. Um. I, and so that's that's the next kind of thing for him is. You know, he won the BMW PGA over in England, which is the European Tour's big event. So he's won a big event, but that's really the, the next thing he needs to do is, is get a win, qualify for a tour championship. Um, I think that's the next step for him.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree on him. Okay, uh, we're going to start going through these a little bit quicker. We've got uh, some Corn Fairy guys and, and a couple of guys that um, – played pretty well this fall that maybe people just weren't paying attention to. So we'll start with uh we'll start with Brendan Todd, uh maybe the fifth best player in the world. Uh, (laughs) Um unbelievable fall. Is that a is that a one off? Do you expect him to have a good spring? What 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 are your feelings on him right now?
2: I I need to start this with the Brendan Todd story was probably the story of the fall. Like the guy went I mean he was at the depths and he just kept going, kept playing. I mean his game was gone and Uh, he just kept at it. It's a great story about perseverance. It's why we love these kinds of stories. I do think the Brendan Todd thing, like we talk about guys who are short, like he is very short off the tee, uh, like bottom 10 of the PGA tour. So the two places that he did win, uh, Bermuda and Mayakoba were perfect golf courses for that. And so I do think that will be an inhibitor, uh, to his chances to contend in bigger events. I think, you know, he could, could he win again? Uh, you know, at some, you know, your week-to-week tour events, I think so. He's a great putter. So when he gets hot with that, um, he obviously – we saw what he can do. But I do think that, you know, it's not like Morikawa and those kinds of guys where we call them short when they're really just – they're still upper echelon. They just don't hit yeah. a 340. He's a guy who's actually pretty short off the tee, and, and that will inhibit his ability on some of the bigger stages.
1: Yeah, I'm not buying Brendan Todd stock. I don't want to purchase Brendan Todd stock at its highest point. Uh that doesn't mean I don't like him or I don't think he's good, but I, I can't imagine that it feels a little um I, I think I said this, but a little Jimmy Walkerish or Patton Kazire-ish where you're like, Okay, yeah, good fall, get you into the tour championship, but you know, I don't know how it's going to go in the spring and the summer. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Rick Gaiman, who has been hosting this podcast for the last few months, is maybe the biggest Scotty Scheffler fan in the world. Where do you stand on Scotty Scheffler?
2: I mean, this is a guy who – he's a very quiet kid. I mean, literally just a man of few words, if you will. But um, he he is a guy who's been all everything, you know, forever. He was kind of like Speed 2.0 in Dallas. Like, he won the U.S. Junior when he was 16 – Played in the Byron Nelson, played pretty well. I think he made a hole in one. Uh, great career Texas, played on Walker Cups, uh, and then just came right out and, you know, blitzed the Corn Ferry tour and was player of the year and could be rookie of the year now. So he's just a guy who, I don't know why he hasn't quite gotten the attention of some of the other guys, but like he's just a guy that we've seen coming for a while now and he's doing it.
1: Yeah, he's got a great name too. I'm, I'm a big name guy and uh, he's got a good one, but you're right. He hasn't gotten. Maybe some of the attention that he's deserved. Uh okay. Uh Zinjun Zhang. This is somebody that my other uh podcast partner, Mark Emmelman, is really big on. He was uh Zinjun was great on the Corn Ferry tour last year. Uh do you think that translates to the PJ tour uh this upcoming year? I
2: gotta be honest, my this is one I'm not not familiar with. Uh I think he's a little bit older. Uh he's like twenty-eight, I think. Um so I think, you know, we'll see. He did not do much his first time around on tour. Um, Obviously came back strong in the corner ferry, but I don't really have – I don't have a lot of Xinjun Zhang takes.
1: <laughs> He's 32, by the way.
2: There we go. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> so he played – he was on tour in 2018. He played tw- – he had 28 starts, one top 10, 16 missed cuts, and finished 195th – excuse me, 167th. Uh. In the FedEx Cup. He did win two times on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. So, you know, I think sometimes we we don't really um I don't know, guys, just it just takes a lot to figure stuff out. And even at an older age, you know, you look at his fall, even he's got he had two top tens in the fall. He's already made almost double the money that he made last time out in 2018. So. I think he's. I mean, obviously he's he's having a better uh, start to his PGA Tour season than in the only other one that he had, and uh, hopefully he can keep it up. I, I think he's a pretty strong player. Uh, Harry Higgs, former teammate of Bryson DeChambeau at uh, SMU, don't know if he is on the weightlifting plan that uh, that Bryson's on, but um, he played pretty well this fall. Do you do you have any thoughts on him?
2: He's a great personality uh, he did a video yeah. with the corn ferry tour uh, did a Seinfeld spoof uh, so he's definitely a very fun player a guy that you know people can root for he took a couple years on Latino America to kind of get out there went through the corn ferry and you know it's just a guy you see him a lot of times you know he's got like two buttons unbuttoned and you know shirt might be a little untucked. and he's just he's just kind of one of the guys so he's a very fun personality I think people enjoy rooting for yeah he he's, a little sec- bit, he's probably an anti Bryson uh, just that I don't think he's, like, breaking out his uh, his calculator or his uh, whatever for doing calculations out there on the course. I think he's probably a little bit more of a field player.
1: He finished second at the Bermuda, had uh, three top 25s this fall. He's already made uh, 540K uh, for the season, so really good start to the fall for him. Uh, and then two others, uh, I don't really love either of these guys in terms of their projection, but uh, Lanto Griffin, uh, who won – the Houston open this fall. And then doc Redman who, um, former us open, or excuse me, us open us amateur champ, uh, at Riviera, doc Redman. W- do you have any, anything on those, either of those two guys?
2: Yeah. Atlanta was an interesting one. Uh, just, you know, he played one year on tour, didn't do much, uh, and then went down to the corn ferry and went back up uh, to the tour and had, found success. Like right away, I think rolled off like six or eight top twenties to start the season. Uh, and I don't know quite what the what he the answer was or what he figured out. So it'll be interesting to see in you know 2020 if it's a guy who had a hot streak and, and capitalized, or if it's a guy who you know figured something out. He's a, he's a bigger guy, kind of a, a power player. So I think that you know that could serve him well. But I mean, definitely definitely took a big leap this fall, and so it'll be curious to see where it goes.
1: Uh, okay, we got a couple more. We've already done 19. We're going to go a little bit over 20 because there's a couple of guys that I want to throw at you just to get your thoughts. The first one for me, and this was a guy that like halfway through the year, I was like, wait a second, what? Bern Wiesberger, uh, three wins on the European tour in 2019. He actually led the race to Dubai uh, going into the final event. And He's up to 22nd in the world golf rankings. Like him and Ricky Fowler are basically ranked the same in the, in the OWGR. Is this, is any of this surprising to you or are you like, yeah, that's kind of what I expected from, from burned in 2019.
2: I think the big rise in the world ranking is more because he took kind of a big dip. Uh, I remember years ago, Jason Solo predicted him as like the next Mark timer, uh, kind of this quiet guy from, uh, Europe that, you know, would surprise people in the States. And if you remember, he was part of that. I think he was the 54 hole leader at that 2014 PGA of Valhalla. The,
1: and Rory uh, just ev- eviscerated him.
2: Yeah. Um, so I mean, he's a guy that Europeans have known for a while. He's threatened to get on some Ryder Cup teams, but so I think that big rise is not from him coming out of nowhere per se, but instead of he, his career kind of hit a, a down patch and now he's kind of back in the top 50 in the world and um, won a couple of Rolex events and. And so, yeah, so I think that that's, it's not that he came out of nowhere. It's that he resuscitated his career.
1: Yeah. Uh, he had a, I mean, the, the tournaments that he won, I mean, he won a couple Rolex, uh, events. I think you just said that, uh, he just, he, it's not like, I, I think sometimes we do the European tour thing where we're like, Oh, yeah, you know, maybe he won in Portugal or whatever. He was winning like legit big time events with really good players. So. Um, I, I'm pretty impressed. I I think, I think the watch for him in 2020 is going to be, you know, can he play his way onto, can he qualify for, uh, the European Ryder cup team? Because I think the position that they're in, in terms of captain's picks and stuff like that is he's just not going to be a captain's pick because of some of the guys that are going to be on the fringe. Uh, but he could play his way on, you know? And, uh, I think that for him is, is the 2020 goal. Another guy who could qualify for the 2020 Ryder Cup, and this is somebody that we don't talk about at all, Uh he's a 23-year-old, finished T6 at the Open Championship last year. Uh He's up to 66 in the World Golf Rankings. That's Robert McIntyre, Bobby Mack from Scotland.
2: Yeah, so I did not know much about him, but actually he was on the GB&I side of the 2017 Walker Cup, um, which... Six players on the U.S. side from that team uh, are now on the PGA Tour just two years later, uh, and the U.S. waxed them in that one. But he was actually on that GB&I team. And also, I did not realize, you know, you get some Europeans who go to some pretty random colleges, like Danny Willett went to Jacksonville State. Um, Robert McIntyre is a uh, McNeese State uh, alumnus, which was, as I was digging into my Robert McIntyre facts, which... They're not really exactly known for their golf program. So for a guy to go there, be a Walker Cupper, uh, and then find pretty quick success on the European tour is pretty, uh, pretty incredible and not exactly the road you, you would expect.
1: Can you name any other McNeese State people? No. Not golfers, but anybody? <laughs> uh, no. I was gonna go, uh, Steve McNair, but I think he was Alcorn, Alcorn. State. Alcorn. Yeah. Alcorn State. I did not, I did not know Robert McIntyre. I went to, went to uh, McNeese State. By the way, your final leaderboard at Royal Port Rush from the summer, Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood, Tony Finau, uh Lee Westwood, Brooks Kepka, and then Robert McIntyre tied with Terrell Hatton, Danny Willett, and Ricky Fowler. I did not I, uh I did not know that. I do
2: think do you remember the thing with that open that's a little squirrely is and I remember this as I was hanging out, at, you know, with the locals of Shane Lowry's uh, club, well south of, of Portrush. But the weather got really nasty late, and so some yeah. guys went out, went out early and posted and just watched the carnage from the clubhouse. I, I think he may have been uh, one of those guys. I'm not positive, but I mean, still finishing sixth in an open, uh, still very good.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Danny Willett, I think, was in that, or was that on Saturday?
2: No, Saturday the weather was good because Lowry shot that 65, and they were celebrating like he'd already won the Open.
1: Yeah, he shot a 63 on Saturday.
2: That's what I meant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to throw – okay, so we've done – I think that's 21. I'm going to throw five names at you, and you don't have to talk about all five. You can pick which one you talk about. So the other five names we have on here, Kurt Kitayama, Uh We've got uh, Shugo Imahara, your boy, your other boy. Uh, Corey Connors, Jazz Awananan. I'm not even going to pause to see if I got that right. And then uh, Lucas Berrigard. All these guys, for one reason or the other, kind of popped in 2019. And I'm curious to see if you think any of them are uh, are kind of have staying power going into 2020.
2: I am curious to see what Corey Connors does. He was top 20 in strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach. So basically an elite ball striker. Just mm-hmm. everything around the greens was – not, I mean, he was outside the top 120, I think, in both stats, and so he's got the, you know, he's got the ball striking chops to be a guy who's a consistent contender. Um, and so I'm wondering if he can just clean it up around the greens and and do that. Um, the way he drives it, the way he hits it, he should be a guy who can make tour championships and and that kind of stuff. So it'd be interesting to see if he can fill that hole in his game.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think Connors is the one that probably pops the most. I, I thought Guard was awesome at the match play. Um, he's just, I don't know. He was just super impressive. Uh, didn't, I don't think he did a ton the rest of the year, but, uh, he's still pretty young. So I, I'm interested to see kind of, uh, kind of how his career goes or kind of how the next few years play out for him as well. Uh, again, with the Ryder Cup stuff coming up in, in 2020. So, uh, yeah. anybody else? Anybody we missed?
2: No, but I think kudos to Jazz. Actually, you know, he was a guy that people were talking about for the President's Cup after he kind of got in the contention at Bethpage. And, uh, while the President's Cup was going on, he won on the Asian Tour versus third year of the, win, third win of the year. And it got him to 45th in the world rankings. So that win probably got him his first master's spot. So yeah. something you may have missed in the mayhem of the President's Cup finale was Jazz entering the top 50 of the world.
1: The, the president's cup mayhem yeah uh Beauregard didn't have another top 10 the rest of 2019 after that uh fourth place finish or i guess the semifinal finish at uh, the match play so i don't know we'll see about him but uh anybody else that we any any like 11 year olds that you've been scouting that we didn't we didn't talk about
2: uh no can look at my trusty list here um I think Matt Fitzpatrick's younger brother, Alex, is a, a guy that people have high hopes on. He played in the Walker Cup for gb and I this year.
1: Does he uh, hit it like two twenty also?
2: I actually I think he's a little bit bigger player. Uh what a shot It what a just out of nowhere shot at Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I think Matt, he hits it longer. Yeah.
1: Fitzpatrick just doesn't I don't know. He doesn't do it for me.
2: And then Carl Phillips uh of Australia, he won the Southern Amateur, which is a pretty good sized event at like age fifteen. Uh he's a junior in high school. Uh, and he made the quarters of this year's USAM. So I think a lot of people have big expectations for him and also has a fairly decent sized YouTube following, I guess. I think it's at Koala Carl, wow. the Yeah. You, th- you so.
1: think, or you, I did research on this.
2: I'm not part of it. I just, I've seen it mentioned in articles when he was playing well at the USAM. Uh, but I know Australians have big hopes for him.
1: Well, that's, uh,. <laughs> I love that you said. I think his YouTube page is Koala Carl. <laughs> like, like it,
2: <laughs> it might be like Koala Carl too. I don't know. Uh, another Australian, Ryan Ruffles. While we're at it, uh, got through Corn Fairy Q School. You know, he's a guy you saw get a lot of exemptions onto the PGA Tour. Uh, went down to Latino America, played well there. Going to be on the Corn Fairy Tour next year. So he's kind of working his own way up through the system now. And and another guy that people had high hopes for. I think he's still only like 22 years old and. Uh, so he could be a year away from getting on tour.
1: Yeah, those are good. Uh, Okay, good list. These have been our top players you need to watch uh, for 2020 and beyond. Uh, If you agree, disagree, let us know in the comments. Leave us a review. Leave Rick a review, even though he's not here. uh, And tell us who you think will break out in 2020. You can leave uh, your thoughts in the review section of uh, our podcast in Apple Podcasts. Um, So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Sean, thanks for coming on. As always, we appreciate your time and uh, hope you have a good holiday season. And uh, hey, more late late night golf coming up with Tournament of Champions. So that should be fun. Are you going to Hawaii?
2: I'm not. No. i watching So,
1: so golf Twitter again. Let's let's do it. Let's get back together.